What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Real Talk Podcast. This pod is sponsored by nobody, and we're totally commercial-free to date. So feel free to listen in from, from the beginning to the end without any interruptions. I do have to say I am appreciative of the over 3,200 streams that we've had to date over my course of 47 episodes. There's never enough time to record these, but to you know, just take my word for it, I, I will be doing these as much as I can to the best of my ability as long as the time allows. Uh, and pot in potting is obviously one of the more exciting corners of my business. And um, we'll do our best to bring in more exciting guests on the future, into the future. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of bringing in my friend and colleague, James Petrie. James and I met at a downtown club. These stories in New York City always happen at, uh, we met at a random downtown club. This wasn't a random club, but it was at a, a club uh, later in the night, perhaps. I believe about six or seven years ago, so good memories. Uh, it's a club that I believe Ori owned at the time. Uh, it's called Gold Bar. In any event, fast track to today, I wanted to share with you all James's path to success, where he is now, where he was in the past, and where he's going in the future. James and his family are the founding agents of Compass in the Hamptons, and they played an integral role in building our presence out in Long Island. Through James and his family, we've become a top brokerage in the Hamptons in less than five years. His experience transacting at all price points from Southampton and Montauk uh, basically built a business a reputation that has helped us grow a key role in some of the biggest deals in the coveted areas of the Hamptons. James earned a degree in environmental studies and focus, and with a focus on sustainable design from the University of Colorado. Go Colorado. We talk about Colorado a lot on this podcast. But James, before returning to the Hamptons to build his real estate career and resume and his life in East Hampton, he became a avid sportsman in the areas of surfing, snowboarding. He was also a lifeguard uh, and whatnot. Uh, you'll find all of his information in his social media, which I'll plug in a moment. When James is not guiding clients through the home buying and selling process, he can be found enjoying the world-class breaks on the East End. James and I have snowboarded together in the mountains of Aspen, Colorado. Oh, his hobbies also include uh, feeding his chickens, feeding and herding his chickens in his, in his yard. You may follow James's personal Instagram at grindedpeach, G-R-I-N-D-E-D, peach, like the fruit, grindedpeach, and his real estate Instagram at Petrie Team, P-E-T-R-I-E, Team, and his website, PetrieTeam.com. I'll plug all the social media websites in the show notes to make sure that you could get in touch with him when needed. So James, welcome. Thanks for having me, Todd. Thanks How you for doing, man? It was flattering. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're so young, yet you have lived such a full life thus far. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Anyways, no, thanks for coming on, really. It's, um, it's always fun getting a friend on the podcast because it's more free flowing. It's open. It's, it, it, it makes, it's less pressure on me, obviously. And, um, you know, ha having friends slash colleagues on board is definitely, uh, definitely part of the growth of this real stock. We real talk pod platform. So, uh, let's go back, you know, let's go back to the beginning. What do people don't know about you as a person? Um, well, it's funny. A lot of, when you grew up in East Hampton, uh, or, when people ask you where you grew up and you say East Hampton, they sort of scratch their head like they didn't know people actually lived here in the winter or <laughs> yeah. 
people live here full time yeah yeah i mean now it's becoming a trend but um, yeah i think i think growing up here just in the complete solitude of of, of how quiet this place gets um kind of shapes you to be a little bit more connected to nature even though we're so sure. close to the city um, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of our buyers are coming from so i think having that that background um Really, really enjoying the woods, really enjoying the ocean is, is, is maybe something that people don't, don't know about me right off the bat. Yeah, you're more of an outdoorsman than what people may assume since you live in Long Island, but you're actually in the Hamptons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Well, listen, we're going to go into the Hamptons a little bit more, but let's just do a couple quick hitters, huh? Just to yeah. warm it up. For visitors, what's for dinner in the Hamptons? From a restaurant uh, perspective? Yeah, yeah. I like to go to uh, Serafina. It's actually right Serafina, yeah. Yeah, it's right around. I mean, I, I know it's a big hotspot in the city, but um, <laughs> it is. one of my friends actually franchised it. He used to work at the most popular one in the city. I think it was in the 50s. Uh, and he came out here, franchised it, had a really tough go at it right when COVID started, but they ended up having like their best year. Um, and he's just a great guy. He He's great when all of our friends come in. Um, he, he always makes room for us. So I think there is probably my favorite spot. And if I'm going to go from East Hampton to Amagansa to Montauk, uh, the Indian Wells Tavern just renovated and their food is great. And then out in Montauk, I like to go to uh, Inlet Seafood, which is off of East Lake. Just drop dead gorgeous sunsets. Really good, uh, really good fish. Low, low carbon footprint in that restaurant. Locally sourced fish. Yeah, and no, the, the owners of those, uh, the owner of Inlet are all like, old school local fisherman guys who mm-hmm. yeah it's really cool yeah love it. how long has that Serafina in East Hampton's been around for I've been there a few years ago so it it was it wasn't fran- it probably been there for four years and franchised for two. Oh, got it okay so it just basically got franchised after it moved to the to the Hamptons yeah, yeah. Got, it. got it um but that's on North Main you know it's, it's not really in the main strip of East Hampton Village um it's right across the street from mm-hmm. the grill yeah it is yeah like outdoor vibe um, mm-hmm. really cool outdoor patio there yeah 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 I, th- I think it's like one of the coolest restaurants around all right good well if uh you can't if you have a hard time getting a reservation hit up james maybe he can help you out yep. uh favorite activity during your free time i mean we talked about this already I mean, yeah, but the, yeah, list, the list could go on and on but uh <laughs> recently me and my me and my friends have gotten like really into mountain biking and yes. it's nice because you could you could go for like a 30 minute ride really get a great workout and you know it, it, it didn't take up half your day or uh so you could you can go at the end of the day get a really good workout in you could go right when you wake up uh it's it, it's a good hobby to have that doesn't affect your work schedule. there are mountains in the hamptons it's hilly <laughs> i wouldn't call I know it mountains, it's hilly but, yeah yeah definitely uh, hilly yeah, it's, de- it's definitely more considered trail riding than like mountain biking. But um, again, you see some of the most beautiful areas because you, you get deep back into these preserves overlooking the bay. And if you weren't if you weren't a trail walker, you'd never get to go back there and experience it. Uh-huh. So okay, just cool. by mountain biking more, I've I've seen parts of the Hamptons that like you know I grew up here and I I I had never seen. Yeah, yeah, it's a different part. Yeah. Uh, riding a bike is definitely underrated. I completely agree with you. Even myself, I bike everywhere in Manhattan. And before I, as soon as I started biking, I would say to myself, oh, wait, 
I would never see these streets back to back to back in such a short time without having to worry about parking a car. Yeah, I started road biking uh, last year too. Oh, nice. And yeah. if, I, if I have a pretty clear schedule or if I know my showings are in the afternoon, I, I will 100% bike into the office. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, what's what's the what's the route that everybody does between uh, Montauk and the East Hampton? There's a bike route, right? It's, it's basically just that straightaway. Um, uh, yeah, I mean the stretch. The stretch is, I think it's 15 yeah. miles. 15 miles, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, big cycling scene out there. Big cycling scene, and even even just, I mean, that's that's, I guess, people like to do that because it's you could say you've done it, but there's so many great roads to bike back here. Especially when you get mm-hmm. up towards the bay, it gets a little less crowded with cars, and uh, yeah, it's just beautiful. Mm, okay, uh, I follow your Instagram a lot, and you're always out there doing a lot. You know, our friends that represent markets in—I'm so envious of our friends that represent markets in places like Aspen and <laughs> Hamptons. You guys are always fishing, biking, surfing, skateboarding. It's like it's yeah, heaven for. <laughs> Yeah, you you guys are uh, you guys are wakeboarding, uh, jet skiing. I mean, uh, what, what what do you guys what, in the Hamptons? You what, what what can you not do? I guess growing up as a kid, it's pretty much uh, outdoor heaven. Yeah, I mean we uh, we just don't have skiing. Mountain life yeah. is just like not not out of here. You guys caught a lot of rock bass out off the coast of Montauk last year. Uh, I saw that. I remember seeing that video. I was pretty jealous of that. How's the fishing scene there? And you eat a lot of fish. I mean, it's good. I, half the guys I grew up with out in Montauk are commercial fishermen. And <laughs> so if, if you want fish, you just got to make a couple of calls. And um, other than that, awesome. yeah, we, we try to go. I mean, I, I surf off, uh, I, I surf cast quite a bit, which is just right off surf the cast. ocean. Okay. Or late August, September when the bass are running south. But we mm-hmm. try to do one or two charter, charter trips a year which is, you know, you hire one of the guys who works out in Montauk. They take you out. One of your boys. Yeah, or like one of my boys' dads who's been mm-hmm. doing it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, usually one of my friends is like the first mate. So they're, they're always happy to when, when we're going out. And, yeah, you spend uh, either a half day or a full day. They, they take you out to the rips or they take you a little further out and you go for, you go for bass. If you're not hitting the bass, you go for, you go for something else if it's black, blackfish season or – it's, good. it's just a good variety. And it's That's such cool. A, such a fun day. That's cool. So if, 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 if any of your listeners are looking to do a fishing trip, maybe hit up James and he can help you out yeah. with the right party. <laughs> okay. One secret tip that locals don't always give the visitors. I mean, as you know, in the Hamptons, it is a, a lot of what we see in the Hamptons is the second home market, just like Aspen and Vail. You get a lot of visitors. So what are some of the tips that maybe locals are maybe not sharing as much? I was thinking about this question. It's not an easy question. The first thing that came to my mind was areas like the Springs or deep up in Northwest that mm-hmm. have like drop dead gorgeous sunsets on really uncrowded bay beaches. But oh, on the on the bay side, okay. On the yeah. bay side, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the the restaurants in in the Springs sort of get overlooked as well. And they're some of the coolest restaurants. They're all sort of on Three Mile Harbor. You could take your boat right up to them. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's just like like the sunsets there are great. I mean, everyone goes out to Montauk, goes to Montauk for these sunsets. But I think I think Springs might be Navy Beach on par. Yeah, like Navy Beach. Right. And then um, okay, all right. That's a good one. 
Yeah, and I think you know, I think I think just trying to get away from the main the main beaches, like mm-hmm. uh, getting away from the crowds is easier than you than you think it is if you know where to go out here. Gotcha. You can, gotcha. You can find yourself on a completely desolate beach on Labor Day weekend if you know what tribe. And, 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 and this is not we're not talking. You have to own the twenty million dollar frontage. No, you just gotta off, know where to park, the- or you know, you gotta have the right the right <laughs> permits. Uh, just gotcha. know where to drive, and you you could you could find some pretty pretty quiet spots. Okay, cool. Uh, favorite bar in East Hampton? You know, I, uh, Best Pizza has become one of my favorite spots. Oh, Best Pizza. Yeah. Do they have the best uh, pizza? They have pretty good pizza. Yeah, I I, I put them in the top three out here. Okay. Um, but it, it's okay. funny. It was it was a it was a location on uh, you know Montauk stretch between. Amagans and Montauk, you know where Cyril's used to be. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's like sure. in that zone, but it was a restaurant that had failed over and over again. And Best Pizza went in, and they I don't know they kind of did a lot of the right things, and they made it through the first year. And now they're sort of on a roll, and they sort of took over. They took over the sports scene. They have like tons of TVs in there. It's a lot of open air, so in the summer there's like a great breeze. Uh, is it all? Is 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 it located off Montauk Highway? Yep. It's it's right off the stretch where like uh you know, lunch, yep. the clam yep. bar. It's right before like the seacrest. Yeah. yeah. hmm And yeah, it's it I think it was a couple local guys that partnered up with the best uh, best pizza guys in Brooklyn. And uh, and it's just it's just been doing well. It's a it's a great place to go grab a slice, great place to watch any any sporting events. They have surf movies playing the whole day. So I would probably rather go there than Gurney's if I'm heading that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. All right. Well noted. Thank you. That's actually educational for me. And yeah. uh, I'm sure all, all my buddies that are listening to this would probably do that next time. Let's see. Quick hitters. Oh, you know, let, let's do another. Let's do maybe two more. Every market has an event or two every year that everybody likes to rave about. So uh, for you, what, what's the favorite event in the Hamptons? I don't want local... to say the Hampton Classic because I've gone a couple of times and it's, and it's fun, but uh, yeah. I don't know. There's, there's this triathlon I did last year. It's, it's in Montauk that I thought yeah. was a great event. It, uh, it started at Navy Beach. You swam. You jumped on your Ooh. bike. Uh, wow. It was like a three or four – it was a three or five K bike. I can't remember. And then you ended uh-huh. up running through the trail system out to the, out to the point. And then there's like a little event out at the point. And it's not, okay. it's not like you're trying to win it. You, you sign up with a couple of your friends and you just try to get through it. I thought that was sort okay. of a, like a great, a great event to, to, to break up the summer and keep yourself. Are you swimming? Are, yeah, no, that's amazing. Uh, are you swimming out uh, from Navy beach, like into the ocean and then circling back? Or are you swimming and then swimming to another destination? Yeah. You kind of swim, you, you go out like a quarter mile and then, and then swim, I guess it's East. To a different location where you like, you know, you throw on your bike and get stuff. your bike, yeah. and then you and then you go south. Yeah, and then I had one other one. But that's really cool, huh? And and then depending on like how they're doing the fireworks, sometimes it's it's good, sometimes it's 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 been hit or miss. But if you could get on a boat and watch the fireworks, the Fourth of July fireworks, that's always great. That's Fourth always of July, great. and what and where do the fireworks usually happen? Uh, sometimes they happen at Three Mile Harbor. Sometimes they happen at, at Main Beach uh, on the ocean side. Okay. Those are that's that's just a, like a change of pace, kind of a great. Ground. 
fun midsummer. Great. Final round, quick hitter. Uh, what's up with you and the chickens? Tell us about the chickens. What is your interest in them? Yeah, um, I started I started raising chickens, I think like five years ago. Uh-huh. Just as, you know, I've, I've always sort of had a green thumb, always had a veggie garden going. Yeah. Couldn't commit to a dog for some reason, even though I grew up with, with dogs. <laughs> and I just tried out chickens. And this is my third go around. I've, I've had to make a lot of upgrades and changes to what I think the coop design should be, but I think I've finally nailed it where they're mm-hmm. comfortable. I could get in and out easy, uh, easily. And there's nothing like fresh eggs in the morning. That's for sure. For sure. And they, How many chickens do you have? Oh yeah. They, they, they recognize their names, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not their names, but if I, if I like clap at them or, or run over to their coop, yeah, they're, they're going to follow me over there. Um, oh, great. I have, I have four now. And I'm looking, and they, I'm, sort of in, I'm sort of in the market for two more. Okay. Uh, what's the ev- life evolution of a chicken like? I think it lived like, I think over 10 years. Okay. Uh, they just, you know, they just start slowly laying less and less eggs. Uh-huh. There's a lot of predators out here. So if they make it to 10, they, 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 were, they were either really lucky or had a good had life. Like a lot of protection. Talk about the predators. What are we talking about? Foxes? Yeah, foxes. Not, not bobcats. Uh, not bobcats, but raccoons. Dogs. If, if they're in the open, a hawk will just take them right out of the sky. Mm. Um, dogs, cats. God. Okay. Yeah, cats. Actually, they're at the bottom cats. of the food chain. They also eat ticks, though, right? Yeah, yeah. When I, I mean, I heard, the... I heard that was the that was the big chicken boom was happening because on the East Coast, at least, there has been a, an issue with ticks all throughout the coastline from where I'm from down by the Chesapeake Bay all the way up to the northeast coast of Maine. There's just ticks all over the place, so that's yeah. why I, I guess some people have chickens too. Oh, uh, definitely. Um, I I don't live in a particularly ticky area now. I live sort of close mm-hmm. to the village, but when I used to live further into Northwest, I just let them roam and I, I, I never had any ticks on me. Uh, chickens and guinea hens are really good for that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Look at the, the James, the green thumb, educating us on the, uh, what's, what's becoming now a, a nature podcast. Yeah. I, nature I and outdoor actually podcast. Actually ducks last year too, but they were. Ducks, what happened to them? They're just like really hard to take care of. They need, they need fresh water. They need, like a body of water and they uh-huh. just get it so dirty that you're you, yeah. you, you end up having to like fill and empty this huge thing of water every day and it's just it got got a little too much the chickens are just release them into the wild <laughs> i actually just threw them back over my friend's fence who gave them me without even telling him because <laughs> he had so many he would have been mad if i did that and i was like you know what? sorry but he would have not known yeah he just yeah, didn't he, he didn't even know. realize it for like weeks <laughs> i finally had to come clean but uh yeah, sometimes back. sometimes you gotta let the let go of the ones that you love. Yeah. Um, let's 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 switch gears and pivot into uh, some more deeper questions now. Just just about you and your business. Let's talk about your sales team. I think you have a family run business. You also have uh, Charlie, who I hung out with a lot actually out out in LA a few years back. But um, you know, just tell me about like what you guys do, how you got in the business, and yeah. uh, your team. Yeah, of course. So yeah, I mean, you touched on it. It's uh. My dad, who's been in the business for over 30 odd years, like 32, I think it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I started working with him when I was still in college and just, I think growing up, listening to him talk and just watching him work, I, I always had sort of a real estate mind. And yep. even in college, I kind of I realized I was going to give it a shot. 
uh, not knowing that I would, I would, I would really love it and uh, continue doing it. But um, mm-hmm. so it's me, my dad, and Charlie Forsman, my stepbrother, who joined us about two years ago. And Charlie's stepmom sometimes helps when uh, like some design stuff has to come into play, or if uh, a property we're working on needs to be staged, stuff like that. But yeah, it's 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 really me and Charlie, boots on the ground, doing all the um, sort of background work. And for the stuff that Ed's working on, that's sort of more high end. He he does most of the showings, but in the last five years, I mean, Charlie and I have grown our business tremendously, and it's sort of two businesses within one, which, mm-hmm. which I think is, is pretty interesting. Um, interesting. Your, your dad, you grew up watching your dad broker deals. This is yeah. pre-internet, probably pre when internet was kind of more, it was there, but it probably wasn't as, as established as what it was today. Yeah. I mean, well, you just saw him on the phone on his brick cell phone or. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, he landlines and he'd carry around me. He, he'd carry me around like a football in the office uh, so I was like sort of always, always in the office driving around. Yeah. You'd hear him on the old Nokia phones before, like I, uh-huh. I, I'd be playing snake and then he'd have to talk to you know somebody. So I, just secondarily hearing all the, all the negotiation talks or just how to deal with people. Um, I think gave me, gave me a leg up and just how to, how to start talking to people in this business and how to, how to treat your clients and um, grateful for that. How to be basically on twenty four seven seven days a week, right? Yeah, yeah. that's I think you get used to. But <laughs> really, really cool fact is I didn't know who you guys were until I think the first week you guys signed on the Compass. You guys did like a ninety million dollar land deal, where it was like not even one week; it was like four days. <laughs> yeah, it was actually a something retrade. like that. It was a retrade of uh, this three contiguous or two contiguous properties on the ocean in East Hampton. Um, oh, I see. It was a hundred, it was 108 or 109 million. The, the now when he, 109 million. Wow. When I'm, when he, I'm assuming this is basically him working on this deal for two, three years leading up to that day of, uh, I guess the signing, but has, have been his clients since, since I don't know, day like one, the eighties. Like he's seen them <laughs> right. amass their wealth and now move on to bigger properties. So um, that I, you, you can almost consider those deals being like 20 years in the making. <laughs> mm, interesting. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, what, what we know is what was put on the map when it was signed, but I knew there was obviously like any deal of that magnitude, there's usually a story that is behind it that goes back uh, many, many years. I didn't know it went back to the eighties, but yes, I mean, certainly makes sense i guess the birth of you guys coming into compass i mean you guys were independent was we, were you guys independent beforehand yeah, or oh uh, we, were, we were at sotheby's and okay. so I, I was at sotheby's for a couple of years and my mm-hmm. job was there for about 10 and before that he had his own he had his own brokerage called uh dude and associates that they okay. uh, sold off and then he moved to moved to sotheby's what did, what did you think when you first heard that you know, maybe we should join into a different, we should join a, a company that's still relatively unknown or actually, in fact, totally unknown yeah. in uh, Hamptons at the time. Um, well, I was still pretty new. I think that was, I think I was, I think it was two years in. So I was, mm-hmm. I was all for it. I was like, let's take the risk. Let's, let's make the jump. Um, everyone that we were talking to seemed to be positive and had, had great ideas in a industry that felt like it was getting stagnant. Um, sure. Between I don't know a lot of a lot of the major firms, it, it seemed like they were more 
more geared towards themselves than, than, than helping the people that were making the sure. money. Um, so when yeah, we spoke to Robert, we spoke to, you know, the powers that be, we had a couple different dinners and it just seemed like they were on the right track and they, they wanted to help us while helping their, their company grow. And, you know, joining a young company like that is exciting. I think he saw it as a good opportunity for me to grow in mm-hmm. a company like that. Um, I, m- I remember during the, the whole talks, we were supposed to come over with Harold Grant and his son, Bruce. So we, between Ed and Harold, they thought it'd be great for Bruce and I to, to like make the jump and be sort of the first guys in over there. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. Harold, Harold decided to stay with Sotheby's basically the day that we were all supposed to leave. Mm. Now, I'm actually not sure if we should be talking about that, but I mean, it's, it's fine. I mean, it, it's, it's already been done. So it's not, yeah, it's, it's uh, not, um, it's not breaking news by any means. Uh, did, did you, did you think, you know, you know, I guess for, for your dad's sake, I mean, he's an old school guy, but did you think that this move was going to be a benefit more for you or more for your, for your dad, or was it more of a family decision? Um, I think we, we both thought it'd be better for me in the end. Yeah. And now that it's, mentioned now that, that we're yeah. five or six years in, it, cl- it clearly was like more strategic for me. Uh, mm-hmm. It didn't, it didn't drastically change his business. His business has didn't change his life. <laughs> didn't change his life. Yes. His, you know, his business has been mostly on his cell phone. Um, we, we've handled more of the back end uh, tech stuff. So the tech, tech stuff, the CRM let, stuff. Let yeah. Ed keep doing his thing. And we Correct. moved into the space and, you know, like you said, like we, we, we met six years ago and we've, we've been at every event since. And I don't think I would have had that same experience if I was still at, at Sotheby's meeting the people that I have and, um, you know, creating the, creating the network. That 100%. I mean, they, I mean, the tech is great. The tech is great, but what drives revenue for a company is not just the tech, but it's us. And what helps us drive the revenue is knowing people like you and obviously the, Lane Johnson's of Aspen and the Nick Spensons of Santa Barbara and whatnot. And I mean, the, the, name, the network. Name a city, talk, and we can go there and have somewhere to stay. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a pretty cool network for sure. One or two things you learned from your dad and and growing up in a real estate family uh, that would pro- probably help. Uh, let's just do two groups: uh, help brokers, and then also maybe uh, things that you learned from your family and your dad growing up that would help your clients. I just think for brokers, you, you, you just got to be yourself. Um, I, I see and, and hear people try to put on these personas. And I, I think they're just doing themselves a disservice. If, if you're going to have to wear that persona every time you talk to this person, eventually they're going to see through it. So maybe you're not always dressed the best, but if you can speak honestly with them, you know, share some connections about your story and your life, they'll, they'll start trusting you more and you'll just be more successful with them overall. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about for your and clients? And then for my clients, what 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 was the sorry? What was like? The, well, I mean, things that you've learned as, as growing up under, in a real estate family from your father. What are some of the things that you learned that are you know that could be good for your clients to know? Um, I always say a bird in hand is a bird in hand. <laughs> if if your <laughs> clients are sort of maybe first time sellers and there's a deal right in front of them and they're, they're iffy about taking it. Sometimes the first deal is always the best deal. 
Right. And if, if, if Ed or myself is saying that, I, I would just hope that, you know, your clients realize that we, we have their best interest in mind. We're not just trying to get the deal done. Like that's, <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to make them the most amount of money. So if, if, uh, if, your clients can trust you enough to listen to your guidance. I think growing up in a real estate family has, has pushed me to be extremely honest with, with people. Yeah, I, I just don't people. think there's any other way to do it. It's just not going to lead to anything, anything uh, productive. That really leads me to an interesting topic. Uh, there was a TV show on Netflix last year called Something Million Dollar Beach House. <laughs> Million Dollar yeah. Beach House. And there was, and I've only seen maybe two episodes of it because my friend was on the show. But yeah. I have to say, there was a scene in the beginning where there was a new agent. He was relatively new. And he was like, how would you like $50 million? Or do you remember that scene? Or $45 million? It was some astronomical number that I, I don't know where he got that number from. I think he just pulled it out of his back. I don't know yeah. what, it, what it was. But, you know, it kind of goes back. And I, I don't think the house ever sold. I think it, they signed it. I don't think they ever, ever even became close oh, to it, the transaction. It was like the ocean front in Amagansett. Yes, it was. Yeah, um, yeah it was, was a, a cool the, modern the house. The seller was a cool modern house. The seller was like a, a lady. I think mm-hmm. she was a lady, maybe Asian, maybe Asian descent. I'm not quite, I can't quite remember, but um you're right. This is this is this goes back. This is kind of like broker lesson 101 is you know what the value of the house is. So you won't sell snake oil to your client. It's a waste of everybody's time. But then again, from a client standpoint, you hire somebody that it sells you the dream, but not the reality. Then you're it, it goes back to exactly what you said. You shouldn't yeah. trust that brokers uh, that sales figure. But yeah, it all comes down to hiring the person that knows what they're doing, it all comes down to hiring the best. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, if, 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 if your pitch is just get the listing and then try to whittle down them on price, it's not a very, it's not a very good way to go about it. You're going to end up not really liking each other. If you go in and say, yeah, it's a bad strategy. If, if, if you go in and say, listen, I know I'm probably not going to have the highest number here, but this is honestly what we think it's, it's going to trade for. And we're not in this business to just stack listings. So um, we, we'd love to represent your property at this level. If it's beyond that, then we're, There's not much we're busy enough. We can do to help you. Right, yeah. we're, we're already busy enough. We don't wanna waste your time and we don't wanna inconvenience your life for the next six months. Yeah. Um, it it totally people, makes sense. People, even if they can see that higher number, if in the back of their head, they, they know that it might be high they their trust falls back on us it's like okay those guys were being at least honest with me this other right. guy's just shooting a pie in the sky number so i can, can get the signature and then uh next week he's going to want a price reduction so it's <laughs> but don't you think the irony in this business is we get a lot of sellers that want those people yeah right they want the astronomical number they're like so and so said i can get this and you kind of have to be like well where are they coming up with that? Like, where are they coming up with that number? Right, right. But sometimes that strategy works too. I guess it yeah. depends on the market too. In an up in an up market like you guys are in right now, maybe sending in that astronomical number, the market will eventually meet that trajectory of that number. No, I mean the the strategy's changed out here for for sure. Especially like at certain price points, you you almost got to reach 
you, you, you still, you, you don't want to go into the stratosphere, but you, you want to reach high. You want to reach high because w- w- what we're seeing is if there's a lot of volume in the first week or so, it's going to go to a bidding war. So if you, right. if you really reach, you might miss that five or 10 people that would have came if it was well-priced or maybe just a little overpriced. And that's where you're seeing the, the quick over-ask transactions is stuff that's priced sure. well, tons of volume in the first week and yeah, m- like multiple bids that forces a sealed bid. Mm-hmm. What did you think about that show on Netflix that was uh, produced last year? Um, <laughs> you could be honest. You know what? My, my girlfriend liked watching it, so I was sort of watching it with her, but I, I don't know if any of those houses traded. And then if they, if I did see them trade, it was with other brokers. So I think there's like a big facade that they throw on just to get the the film crew in and then and then they're done. It was great marketing for the it was great marketing for those homes, wasn't it? Oh yeah. It was, so the, yeah. The, for the sellers, it was a no-brainer to get those you know, those people in a, assuming that there was nowhere in tear in the house. Yeah. But well, I, here's, 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 here's a good story for you. So I, I had a developer who was working with me. I, I basically had a deal done for him. And he said, Netflix is going to pick us up to do a renovation for this house. Oh. So we're going to get, you know, you're going to sell us the house. Then Netflix is going to pick us up, film us, you know, with those brokers renovating it. And then after the show's done, you, you got to sell it for me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I'm doing the first deal. Uh, they get to film there, and then I'm going to do the second deal. I'm like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Uh, so the deal you're telling apart. me, oh, the, oh, no, the deal fell apart. You're telling me that the sellers brought in fake listing agents to film the show, but then after the show was over, you were able to come back in. That's, that's, that's what they were telling me, yeah. They were like, listen, huh. it's a great opportunity for us to team up with Netflix to do this, but you know, we're relying on your guidance to buy this house and then eventually sell it. These reality TV shows in our real estate industry, I think have really affected how people think about the industry, whether it's people like us or buyers or sellers, or I guess people that also want to join the industry, right? There's a lot of facade in the front and nobody really knows what's actually happening in the back. And that includes what, what do you think? Commissions, I'm sure the type of talk like people don't talk like that in their industry or people don't go to separate rooms and talk amongst each other and then come back in and talk in the, in the same conference room. I, I mean, I mean, what do you yeah. think about that? I think it's a, the whole TV perception has changed our, the dynamic of real estate. Don't you think? I, I think there's just so much more that goes into being able to do a lot of deals in one year. It's not like your work, like for them, they're, they're in that show. They're, they're like, I have to focus on this one property. It's like my, my, my nest egg. When in reality, you should be thinking about that house. You should be thinking who who wants to buy it. You should be thinking about who their friends are and start making calls. And then naturally it'll all come together. Hopefully uh, that's what, I mean, my dad always said he'd, he'd wake up at, at 4 a.m. with his notepad on his, on his desk and he'd come up with a great idea about who should buy this and trade into that. And he'd, he'd scribble it down before he forgot it. So like some of his best ideas were middle of the night. Uh, very cool that section of real estate that is really hard to capture like you're it's very boring on churning. tv but yeah yeah your mind just churning about like especially us it's it's so it's so hyper focused uh with east hampton south or just the areas that we focus on in general right right you know who the players are you know what they're looking for you know 
who wants to move where. Uh, and it's all about like stringing together that, that two or three deal psych that is what drives me, I think. You know, thus far in your career, what, what are you most proud of in terms of accomplishments? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, I, I've done one oceanfront deal that I, took me about three years to do. Uh, it was actually uh -huh. it was a referral from Compass. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, every, every, every part of it was, was, was a challenge and it was a learning experience. And, you know, it was to date my highest sale. But you want to disclose the sales price? Uh, I was, was 20,500,000. Wow, that extra 500,000 too. That's amazing. Yeah, it's asking in like twenty four five when we got them down, uh -huh. or like around twenty, which is, which is great. And they're good for you. Buyers are, you know, couldn't be more thrilled with with how it ended up. Um, mm -hmm. But then I think about the other the, the other side of it is selling the I wouldn't say lower end, but the first time home buyers who got in two years ago and have now sent me three or four referrals and they're, they're asking me to come play golf or, you know, creating friendships with people. That's like a whole nother thing I'm really proud of is creating like networks of friends that I'll probably have for the next 20 years because I first sold them a house and whatever we bonded, we became friends. They introduced me. To How fun is that? Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then all exactly. of a sudden you have, you know, your maybe your local friends and you have like your client friends and then they meet and it's it's just it's just your network of influence grows. It goes it just keeps on going. As long as you keep doing the right thing, it'll keep growing. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. I mean I, I mean how fun does it sound to be able to sell your clients at home, but then also go play golf with them right afterwards? Yeah. Exactly. Did you list or you guys list a poem that was featured in the show? Was it Succession or Billions or one one of those? It was a it was used as a set. No. Uh no, I don't think so. No, there was a a movie. It was like a movie or TV show. Okay, well there was a property that sold that has been in a couple movies. Uh, it was, That's right. It was in Wayne Scott. It's it's actually named kill care but that that traded and then there's oh i mean yeah that's the only one okay yeah no i think it was that one that we were talking and, about and that one's been like on the cover right it's like one of those like yes, iconic yes. houses in east hampton and it did I, trade yeah that's right. that it traded to somebody who wasn't going to knock it down because that was really oh. where we ended up after not uh -huh. for a year and a half we were like okay mm -hmm. someone's going to just want to basically pay land value knock this thing down uh and oh my goodness that didn't happen uh, we would have good lost, oh good lost yeah, an icon yeah that us. yeah that would have been a bummer yeah you know in terms of currently what's in the works you know i know the market's yeah. very difficult covid happened there's a lot of I, I guess the accidental benefactors of covid are secondary home markets like you guys where people want more space they want to be by the ocean they want to be outdoors um again markets like Vail, markets like Aspen, um, those are the, the benefactors. I mean, I, I know I tried looking for a house for a month in Bozeman, Montana earlier this year for snowboard season and, and the prices were astronomical. I mean, the secondary home markets are on fire. I mean, what, what's going on in the Hamptons right now? What happened last year? What happened this year? Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's funny. A, a, any builder that was uh, getting to the finish line around COVID or even into the 
back into 2020 or even into 2021 and they were coming out with a fresh product they did they did amazing mm-hmm. they sold like immediately um there's a lot of pre-construction stuff selling just because there's there's nothing really on the market and anything call it under three million that was moving ready had multiple bids mm-hmm. um, i remember at the beginning of 2020 i mean we had some listings for four or five years that finally sold so we we got rid of some of that Amazing. A very old school inventory that you know was nice um yeah maybe it just was a little bit quirky or it needed some work but work yeah like there was it was a whole changeover of of uh sort of old inventory that finally ended up selling which was, which was nice and Good. then in the works we we have a, a lot of nice big vacant pieces of land and probably like the best section of East Hampton that um, are starting to come on the market and they're within one family and they're right next to each other. So that's, that's really our focus right now is- Are they zoned residential? Is it yeah. commercial? Is it mixed? Nope, it's just single residential. What, what is it like out there in the Hamptons? I mean, how many, are there restrictions on basements? How many floors you can build? I'm sure there are, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's height, there's height restrictions, um, there's square footage restrictions, depending on your lot size. Um, there's not really like style um, restrictions. Like there's, the HOAs and stuff don't, don't have much of that. Um, okay. So you could build yeah. a glass house or you could build a, a, yeah, you a mountain build a, village cottage looking home or you could build a traditional. Yeah, exactly. What's the minimum price for someone to do that, right? If you wanted to buy a piece of land and then build, go through all the permits and the zoning, the construction. I mean, what's, what's the, the starting budget for something like that? You can pick off a piece of land here. I, I'm, I'm talking more specifically East Hampton. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hard to do now, but there, there are still pieces of property that are probably valued around three to 500 and then call it 500 a foot to build. Um, 500. Three to 500,000? Yeah. Okay. Is that like an acre? What are we looking at size? Well, that's probably like 0.5 or 0.25. Mm-hmm. Um, is it near the water or is it, like, I guess you could that would be drive to the water. In, in, in springs. I mean, if, if you're mm-hmm. looking for like a really nice building lot, you're going to have to pay between like a million and two million. Okay. For an acre, acre plus. Um, okay. In more of a coveted area, things like that. And then, you know, sky's think- the limit. Guys, limit. Of course, yeah, you could spend fifty million dollars on piece of oceanfront property, right? Um, yeah. could, you, could you tell me though? You said you said so. Go into that for me. Five hundred dollars a buildable square foot. So, what is, what does that actually entail? Explain to explain to this like you're explain it to a first time home builder. Yeah, so that would be that's like your all in uh, cost. That's landscaping. That's hardscaping. That's um, first two floors is is generally in the five hundred square uh, five hundred a foot. And then if you want to do a, a finished basement, it's, it's about half, it's about 250 a foot. And that's just your starting costs. If you just listen to the builder's advice and did everything he said, he probably could do it for that. But as soon as you start making custom changes and uh, change orders and architectural changes and stuff, it's, it starts, starts getting a little bit more expensive. Mm-hmm. So, so for like 500 and 1,000 a foot would be like realistic out for, for building not extremely luxury high end out here with like a really well known designer and architect. That's where it gets really expensive. So let's just say a modest house. I don't know, three thousand square foot interior, two floors, fifteen hundred a foot. 
first, no basement, just ground and second floor. That would be $1.5 million. Yeah. Plus, I guess the land cost. So how would you build in the outside? The land, is it hardscape and landscaping? Hardscaping and that landscaping. That's, 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 in, that's generally included in that 500 square. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So all in, you could build a, a brand new house on a modern piece of land for about $2 million. Yeah. Or, or, or less. I mean. Or less. Because it depends the 1.5 on how is... involved a designer and architect get. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you if you work with a and builder then, that that you trust to, to to design the house, you know that cuts the cost. Um, I think some inter- some some listeners may be interested in this. Is uh, so let's just say two million all in in the time like this. If you were to rent this house out for the summer, how much would you be able to get? The rental prices out here are crazy right now. I mean, I, I yes, I know. So one- let's discuss this. I sold the house for one three, one two eight, and it's in Amagansett. It's in a nice area. It's close to the bay. It's a salt box, four beds, three baths, and they just, I, they painted it, painted the exterior, kind of cleaned up some of the landscaping, and we're asking forty five for J- July and forty seven for June, or for, <laughs> sorry for August, and we we have a full ask July offer. Full ask Jill offer for forty five thousand. Yeah. Now so, give me a give me a, a low ball modest estimate of what you would get on the other months. About. So June is typically half of July. I, that's just ballpark. What would I would mm-hmm. say? So like twenty ish, twenty two five or something like that. Uh, okay. Again, forty five for July, forty seven ish for August because they're about the same amount of weekends this year, and then mm-hmm. September's. Really nice now too. It's probably more in that June category. Twenty five. Ten grand, maybe. No, like 20, oh, it would twenty five ish, and then October will drop <laughs> off to yeah, like call it. All right. So all, the at, all the winter months, if you have a halfway decent house now, you're starting to ask ten thousand a month, and you're maybe settling at five or six, but the asking prices are, are strangely across the board at ten thousand. Let's just say. Modestly, seven grand or five grand for December, January, February. Right? Would that yeah. be modest? Five grand yeah, per yeah. month? That's fi- plus 15 grand. So you just said, you just rattle off those numbers, and I, I, I did the math here. You're, we're looking at $154,000 in gross revenue, which for a $1.2 million home, right? Uh, which means that that's a cap rate of 13%, gross cap rate of 13.3%. For those buyers that are looking and they have the budget to do so, it, it almost makes no sense to put your money in a checking account I know. At, at, at a 13% return. It makes no sense to put your money in the stock market at an S&P average growth of 6%. I did a deal right before COVID for insurance <laughs> for one, two, I was like one, two, four, five or something. And he immediately got... 40,000 for July, 45,000 for August. And I've gotten him those. And then he does these like winter rentals. I can't remember the exact numbers, but he makes out like a bandit. And every year I've hit those numbers for the past two years. He just gets okay. his rented and he, he sometimes uses it in June. But for him, it's been like such a good investment. If um, you're listening to this, you just heard the best piece of nugget on the Real Talk pod- podcast is how much wealth you can potentially build in the Hamptons. 
because the rental market is just crazy. Tell me what uh, you worked on. You helped out my buddy who had a budget of 60 grand between the months of, uh, I believe, uh, Memorial Day and Labor Day. And there was nothing by the water. So what's going on in the rental market? Why, why has it been so just astronomically insane out there? You know what? We thought, we thought it was going to maybe slow down this summer after um, so many people had to spend such long periods of time out here last year. Mm-hmm. Not saying yeah. it's a bad thing. It just kind of was what it was. Uh, there was a lot of talk of people wanting to maybe travel more this summer. And it ended up being more crazy than last year. Like right, people because... locking stuff down in February, uh, which happens, but the volume of which people were was, mm-hmm. was staggering. And it, it kind of, if, if I had clients that were like, oh, we're going to wait. And I was, I, I, I was warning them. I was like, you guys should lock something down. It seems like the inventory is going to be going really quick. And sure enough, um, there's like nothing on the market. <laughs> what's what's your advice someone came to you today right hey james i need uh i have a budget of five grand a month for a rental in the summer and then also second part of question i have a budget of 10 grand a month and then the third part is i have a budget of 20 grand a month what are your what's your advice on those three price parameters i mean i i think five grand a month is almost unheard of um yeah <laughs> you're screwed (laughs) well no so so the really hardest part about so say those three parameters is that you're you're in a pool of so many people and thousands 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 of people who are have already scoured the internet and have found all those houses that were that price point um so if you didn't get into the rental market early this year you could almost kiss those price points goodbye. <laughs> My um, goodness. Like if somebody calls me on a four bedroom, three bath, and they want a pool and stuff, I'm like, okay, you know, that's sort of what everyone wants. And that's sort of what the bulk of inventory is out here. And that's the kind of stuff that has came and went. Mm, so okay. for people would be, we, we need to be on top of our game when stuff hits the market. Meaning to- should somebody be looking next year, summer, now? Oh, I mean, no, I mean, if something, if, so say, say there's still somebody who's not sure about their plans and then they end up putting their house on the market for rent. You need to be on top of knowing that new inventory. I mean, now it's getting a little too close to summer, but call it a couple of weeks ago when um, you know people's plans still, still weren't set. If, if we looked over the inventory, we didn't find anything interesting. My, my job, my goal would be to scour the new inventory and make sure my clients knew about it immediately if it came on just to get their foot in the door first mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay it's the same with sales under a certain threshold too it's like if you're not completely on top of it it's it's going to be gone a couple more quick hitters just more about you just because i'm personally curious myself uh what's your what motivates you power money time influence what's your motivation it's definitely not power. I mean, we, we, we don't, we don't really publicize any of our, any of our um, numbers or our, our, our deals. We're not, we're not making comments in the newspapers. Um, There's a funny meme. Uh, uh, I think it was the broke agent. It was like, is it possible to sell a house and not post about it? Yeah, I saw that. It's like, <laughs> well, 
Um, I guess I guess my drive would be would have to be like money in a sense, but it's but it's money that I want to end up doing fun fun things like traveling with or stuff. So yeah. surfing and stuff. Yeah. 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 So the uh, it's money, but the 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 longer answer, it's it's like fueling the active lifestyle. Got it. And, and being it. able to do that while still like maintaining a healthy business. Hey man, you're a young guy, no kids, not married. I mean, yeah, you got to have that flexibility of being able to do young things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If there's any book... one, one little snippet when uh yeah. when 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 they first started trying to get Ed to come to Compass, they couldn't yeah. even find him online. He had he was <laughs> nothing. And I remember uh, I can't remember who it was, but they came up to him they're like, "You are a ghost." For being like the top broker in East Hampton, you're an absolute ghost online. He's like, yep. Secret agent. Yeah. 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 There are a couple of brokers like that in the city too. The coaches all hate them, but that's how they do it. <laughs> they all, nobody wants you to be a secret agent, but some of the top agents are secret agents. Is there a book or play or a piece of artwork or an activity that has been on your mind lately and, uh, and, and why? You have a lot of beautiful pieces of art behind you. Yeah, um, actually, a lot of my artwork is is, is local friends. Um, oh, young young artists that uh, I, I either know through college or um, I, I know their siblings and stuff. I, I try to collect stuff that I'm like banking on them to make it, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like and NFT, then, people buying NFTs these days, right? Yeah, and then um, book wise. I, I try to I, I try to read ed- educational things, but I also need I also need some some sci-fi and like some fun sure. stuff in my life. So I okay. uh, I'm I'm reading the uh, the Red Rising by Pierce Brown right now. Okay. Um, I'm on book three of five, and I've I've probably torched like fifteen hundred pages in the last month and a half. See, I would not have known of you to be a sci-fi guy. Yeah. Or to read I, sci-fi books. Yeah. Very interesting. So when you look back at the end of your career, what do you want to see? I, I think it's sort of similar to what I see uh, Ed's career, like finalizing it. He's, he's, a, he, you know, he's, he's obviously had a killer career. But, oh, amazing. Uh, the, the ease of, it's so easy for him to pick up the phone and call some of these people who he sold houses to 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago. And be able to just, I see him sitting on the phone and they're laughing and they're still talking and they're still friends. And I want my end of career to be, to be similar. So, I, I, you know, I'm still talking to the people I sold houses to last year. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they've become lifelong friends and they've introduced me to more and more people. So when I look back at my career, it's not look how many sales I did. It's look how many people I helped and look how many friends I've created and look at this community behind my real estate career. The relationships are the most important. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Uh, last question, and I think this is probably going to be the the hardest question, and maybe the most interesting question for our listeners is, you know, everybody loves a comeback story. So, you know, everybody's endured losses, whether it's not. I'm not talking about you know family losses. I'm talking about losses in business, losses in life. They've all we've all taken L's. So you know, both in the personal side and our business side. I mean, all I take is L's in my business in New York City, especially after COVID. Uh, yeah. But, you know, L's, I mean, we all have taken losses. So so I want to know like how some of those losses, what they were or are, 
And, you know, how did that mold you into the person that you are today? Mm -hmm. Describe a little bit of that. Well, I, I always think back, especially when I'm traveling, of missing an opportunity to maybe not jump into real estate immediately. And mm -hmm. maybe explore some other areas uh, like Aspen or uh, somewhere in California. So sure. I, I don't want to call it an L, but th there were points in my early, early career that I, I didn't want to spend the winters in East Hampton. And I had done it for mm -hmm. my whole life. And I, I, would, I would come up, I would start thinking about like, oh, oh great, I, I'm never going to leave East Hampton. And this is sort of the rest of my life for the next however long. And that, that was always a setback. I, I would travel and I would basically decide that I like wasn't going to come back and I was going to start getting my Colorado license or I was going to start getting my, my California license. Um, but then once I, you know, once I spent that time away and I'd come back, I'd, I'd sort of realize how beautiful it is out here. And maybe I was being a little short-sighted in my, in my, in my thinking. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can do deals in Aspen. You can do deals in, uh, California, just using our, using our network. So network, yeah. I think it, once I got comfortable with the idea that, Hey, I like talk, I like, why don't I go spend some time out in Colorado, learn the market. I don't necessarily need my, my, um, my license because I, I have lane. Um, what, once I realized that and it, it kind of set me down and put me in a space where I was like, I could, I can move around and I can sort of work in all these areas without, completely picking up and moving um it it's i think it's like centered me it made, it made me happier about where i am living now and mm -hmm. happier to start trying to expand and do more business with my friends yeah no that's definitely true uh do you think you'll be in the hamptons for the foreseeable future in your life yeah good Good. As long as it as long as it doesn't get more crowded than it already is, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The, su the, the summers, as everyone in New York knows, it's, it's it's a bit overwhelming. But the shoulder months are still absolutely beautiful. September, October, November, you can't beat it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, no, that's true. That's January, true. February, you might wanna. <laughs> but yeah, you always you always got Colorado and like your city. You can always go to the visit go to visit the places in the wintertime that you when you have that downtime or that some of that leeway. Yeah. Um, so, and so, yeah, no, listen, that's great. Thank you so much for your time, James. I appreciate yeah, it. Uh, again, the, to our listeners, follow James on Instagram, mostly, uh, at, uh, grinded peach, grinded peach. And there's also his Instagram at the Petri team, follow him again on his website, petriteam.com. Ask him all questions on what to do as a local. It's all there. We talked about Serafina. We talked about best pizza. Uh, we talked about the, the triathlon he did in Montauk. We talked about chickens. I mean, any of any and anything we obviously real estate related. Uh, my takeaway, I guess, on this episode that I really loved hearing about was the absurd amount of rental income that you could earn as an investor of a maybe a 1.2 million dollar home, as well as some of the uh, the, the buildable square footage, the cost of the initial um, like initial cash outlay required to purchase land, the cost it takes on an average square foot basis to build a home. If you want to deep dive into it, always reach out to James. Again, thank you for listening. And James, thanks for your time. Thanks, Doc.